The following podcast is part of the 6040 Network. Hey there, and welcome to Everything Small Business, your shortcut to start, build, manage, and grow your small business. I'm Cherie, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Sam Squires, founder of Backbone Barbershop, all as part of our mini-series called Share Your Small Business Story. In this episode, Sam shares his experience with launching a business on a shoestring budget, using his business and marketing background to switch careers and become a barbershop owner, educator, and brand ambassador, and the lessons he's learned while running a small business, which will continue to grow. So Sam, it's great to have you here on the show. Welcome to Everything Small Business. We would love to start with a little bit about you and why you chose to be a small business owner. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really happy to be doing this. Yeah, so my background is originally in, in business. I went to university in the UK and studied business and marketing. And long story short, came out of that. was lucky enough to get a job in marketing. And I went to be a business development executive and market portable buildings. And so I was writing press releases about steel frame buildings. And it was just the most unglamorous thing I've ever done. And I really fell out of love with it pretty quickly. I had a friend that was traveling in Australia Badgered her every day about what they were doing, where they were going, you know, how amazing was it? Actually received a message back saying, look, I'm not answering any more questions. Just get on a flight. And I did. I booked the flight for six weeks later, moved back with my parents to try and save a bit of money and told my mum that I was leaving and she was upset, I think, but didn't really believe it. And I, and I came across. And then, yeah, in the last, I've been here for eight years now. In the last eight years, I've, I did go back into marketing. I had a small freelance kind of agency thing that I was doing myself for under two years and I just wasn't moving with the times fast enough and didn't have any passion didn't have any drive to learn the changes that were happening and yeah fell out of love so we traveled a lot more and then I was cutting hair in Brazil with my now wife and she's a pretty smart woman and she kind of said look you just love doing that why don't you take it a bit more seriously and obviously previous me- previously mentioned like my mom was a hairdresser she was a very good one growing up I think she would did try to push me into the industry a little bit when I was young and I was really not not for that. Barbering wasn't bursting on the scene. Barbering wasn't massive. It was all hairdressing. It was all female hairdressing. It just wasn't the kind of person that I was at the time. I just had these bigger ideas, I thought. And um, yeah, so I decided to get back into barbering. I got, we went back to the UK, I got qualified in the UK and we, I managed to kind of line up a job out here in Australia on the Gold Coast for when we moved back. So I suppose my why of owning a business is that I always wanted to own or run or be the head of something. And when you're younger, you have these like grand ideas and I had a grand idea of what it was that I wanted to do. And the shift changed. And when my kind of wife approached the scenario of being a barber and approaching the barber industry differently, a bit more purpose and a bit more ambition, I guess, to what I had had previously. Yeah, just it just fall in, it all fell into place. And yeah, fell in love with the industry and passion drove what I do now. So how do you find then the difference like in that passion between marketing mm. and barbering? I still love marketing. I love it. I still have a real passion and excitement for business and marketing, any business. When I get the, I'm privileged to be able to speak to so many people throughout the week who might be chasing their dreams or might be doing some kind of, you know, running some kind of business or thinking about opening them. And if I feel like they're wanting to talk to me about it or wanting my perspective on things. I love to be able to give that as well because of the experiences I've had, but I, I still love marketing. It's just marketing kind of falls into so many different realms and pe- some, a lot of people don't even understand what they what marketing would be for a business. And I don't think I fully understood when I was going for these job that I had was like a business to business marketing kind of organization. And that was not, it wasn't exciting to me at the time. I was just young and wanted to be doing other things and, I think when it got into something that was a tangible skill that you had to learn how to do the fundamentals properly, had to just learn how to do a trade and then from there develop into how to market yourself, how to sell yourself and, and those those aspects and all the way into the small business. When I finally kind of found small business marketing and trying to reach a demographic that was within a 15k radius and not trying to conquer the world, I found that I excelled at that and really did I just found a passion in that. That's really cool, actually. I like that because, I mean, obviously, where we gone, we enjoy the marketing. I'm actually an accountant. Okay. So my background is zero marketing yeah. at all. I'm all numbers. Yeah. But since 
doing this side of the business, mm-hmm. you do find a bit of a passion for, I think it's the communication yeah. and just trying to explain what it is that you do and then seeing where there's, you know, a connection between what you're you're saying and what you're intending to say 100%. and whether the message is being heard. So. For sure. And I think anything that comes from a genuine place will reach people more. But I also can appreciate and I also really have a love for the targeted things, things that you're planning. There's a point. And I think people, especially the people in my life that know how I function, how my, my head works, laugh at how I feel like I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm controlling every kind of communication. I have a purpose for everything I say. So like we're selling ourselves, we're selling our services and it ranges into the other aspects of barbering that I've been able to do, which is training and educating brand sponsorships and things like that. It's, it all comes down to communication, I think, yeah, and what you're putting across. And I have a real appreciation for that. I don't resent anything to do with that. I love that stuff. So, Do you find, though, that actually finding your passion for barbering actually re-kicked off? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And the passion for barbering, I think it's a really great trade that you can get very passionate about. I feel like if you're not passionate about it, then you should be out of it. I do think that because it's an industry, it's another industry which has like this kind of stereotype of... It's one end or the other. You make loads of money, you make no money. It's, you know, it's one of those things where if you're a worker, you're, you know, you're treated like a slave and things like that. That's not the case, you know, like it's like anything in business, anything in life that I believe, like if you go into it with passion and a plan of action and obviously things change and you have to pivot a lot, then you'll be successful. And it's not one dimensional. There's a lot of different aspects that if you're willing to put yourself out there and try, you can be successful. A big thing for me was when I was marketing or when I had the, marketing jobs out here in Australia, things would drag out and take a long time and I'd be tendering for work, I'd be, I'd be going for work and I'd be winning work maybe off the back of being able to talk the talk. But when it came to it then, I was going home and having to have to figure out how to deliver what I'd sold myself. And I might have been had a little bit of success in that and then six months down the line, eight months down the line, something would come back. We'd have to do something again or think about something again. And I didn't like that. And I remember a real plain and simple thing was when I started barbering, You have half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour to deliver something, make someone feel really good, give them a product that they're happy with, which is the haircut that you've just kind of cut. And they can sit there and say, yeah, love that. Or, you know, can you do something different? And they walk out the door and that's that. That's that interaction. Mm. There's obviously ongoing marketing that goes to them. There's selling product to them. There's like reaching out. There's building a community and a culture that they can get around and get involved in. But at the crux of it, it's you're cutting hair. You know, you're, you're cutting hair. And you do it to the best of your ability and they leave happy. And that's a really nice little moment that you can have numerous times in the day. Mm. I really love, love that aspect of barbering. So I've got to ask the question, what distinguishes then barbering from, say, I guess, traditional hairdressing or just yeah, men's hairdressing? There are, this is a question that, you know, it has been asked a lot. There are differences. There used to be a lot more of a defined difference. There used to be a traditional barber versus a hairdresser, say, and then men's hairdressing didn't really seep into the realm of beards and shaving. At one point, there was a definition that barbers did beards. But now, obviously, men's hairdressers can style beards, between beards, shaved faces. A lot of traditional barbers really fight, I think, the fact that the industry is changing and the skill level is changing and the developments are changing and the styles are changing. And I'm a firm believer that you have to be able to do it all. That being said, I'm qualified as a barber in the UK and Australia, and I've never cut women's hair. I do cut women's hair, but it's short women, you know, short haircuts and things like that. I've never trained as a hairdresser. And their skill to me is unbelievable. But we had to learn how to use scissors and how to cut hair at a really high standard when I was learning. So I put myself up against any hairdresser cutting a man's haircut. Like that's how I want to go forward. That's how we kind of what we push in our businesses. Mm-hmm. And obviously everybody's business is different and they, how they train their staff is, is very different. We never tied ourselves to a trad- traditional barbershop. That, that isn't what we are. You know, it is becoming a hybrid of being able to be a men's hairstylist, a men's hairdresser and a barber. And that shows itself in how we deliver other services as well as cutting hair. We do waxing services, we do deluxe services, we do facials. We do just about everything that a man can sit down and have in our shops. And we're also not solely for men. <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's definitely ever-changing. But we've I love that about the industry. I think that's really good. 
So what then are the services that you completely provide? Like, I mean, I know that we've just touched on some of them there, but I mean, they wouldn't even be traditionally thought of in a hairdressing space. They would be considered more beauty. And- yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So like our, I couldn't list off our service menu because it's pretty large, but we have different forms of style cuts. Big in the industry now is fades and skin fades, which are basically harder to do well. So we do all of that. We do beards. We do two versions of a beard sculpt with a cutthroat blade and hot towels. We do a collagen face mask that has creatine in that's anti-wrinkle. We do a black mask facial that pulls out dirt in the pores. Yeah, we do eyebrow threading, eyebrow waxing, nasal waxing, ears. We used to do like a flame singe, which was really traditional, <laughs> which was like just a flame on a pair of scissors taking the hair off the ears. So we've kind of moved in and out and delved into the traditional, but with the modern style things as well. And I feel like because of the way that our shops work and like we're in trading estates like we're surrounded by you know true blue tradie men and the way that we marketed these services and the way that we talk about these services they are beneficial otherwise we wouldn't be doing them things like the black mask facial was like nobody wanted that no but i saw that happening in other shops and i take a lot of inspiration from the uk america to a certain degree and Oz in itself you know queensland we kind of can derive from other states and how people are developing their services and yeah black mass facial for a tradie who's out in the sun and the dirt and you know getting stinking all day is the ideal situation it's just getting the first couple of boys to do it once we did that and shout like a big shout out to our clientele because they're open-minded and i feel like you know you attract what you put out there so we're super open-minded and happy to do that they're staples now people have them regularly we have a deluxe service that has basically everything so like Full fade, a full cutthroat beard trim. They have the collagen mask running while we do it. We remove everything with hot towels and then we do a full waxing service. And that is popular. Like We have numerous clients get that a week, which is awesome. It just diversifies and keeps us interested as well, I think. It does sound, though, a lot of what you've developed, I mean, you've said it before, is you could, these are just, the, not, not just, but they certainly could be commoditized. Mm. So it sounds like it's the experience and the package in which it's delivered, which is the key. For sure. Yeah, 100%. The way that I put together these services and these new packages, I think fundamentally derived from myself. I never got that, you know, anywhere, really. I never got that service. And I love it. I love having my hair cut. I like going and I've had facials with my wife before we got married and those situations. And I've never hated those situations. I think breaking down the barrier where people are a little bit concerned about that. And yeah, and from a business aspect, they always have a purpose. Everything has a purpose. If we go down the route of doing facials, obviously they're higher priced service items. They take a little bit longer, but if we could fill our days with those, we'd be financially better off than filling our days with buzz cuts or beard just you know, basic beard trim or basic beard sculpt. And yeah, just saw an element of that. I think guys think they go in and get a haircut and that's all they can get. Like if we have it on the regular, we, we run by appointments and walk-ins where possible. And luckily, they're not always possible. And when you kind of ask, do we have a staff at the front of the desk ask, oh, you know, how can I help you today? And a man will just say haircut and think that's the crux of, that's it, what you do. But it isn't. We offer a lot more. And I think delivering that message and how we deliver that message is super important. So that's been a big kind of key focus, I guess, for the businesses. So that seems like to deliver this, you're obviously supported by a pretty decent team. Oh, yeah. Our team is unbelievable. Yeah. When you hear about the industry and how barbers move from place to place and and how they get treated realistically and how they, you know, change locations regularly, we haven't had that. We've been really fortunate. We've got a core team. I don't think my team would mind saying as well. Not one member of my team had a clientele before joining our shops which is a big risk. It's a, a massive risk to take somebody on with no one clientele to their name. And every one of them has built a clientele now that which is to be applauded for sure. We've obviously, I've made mistakes with staff members. I, you know, like that happens and we've had situations with apprentices coming up and hasn't worked out as like our views haven't aligned, I guess, and things like that. Or we've had situations, but I've tried my very best to make it a point. Everyone I've ever dealt with not to leave a bad taste in them or to put them onto something better or to kind of keep that contact. I think it's not regular that barbers on the Gold Coast keep in contact with each other and chat. And I, I'm happy to say that I, I try my best to keep in contact with anybody who wants to talk to me. I don't have any bad feelings towards any barbers, really. It's a shame that there's not enough guidance, which I think is a, an ego thing. And we all go through that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think with my team, they understand where we're heading, I guess. And through COVID and through the last few years of having a baby and things like that, I think that might have been a little bit clouded as well. 
and as a an owner and a leader of a business, I guess, I've definitely been guilty of not making my staff members aware of my vision or where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're kind of back on track with that now, which is good. Yeah. Mm. Do you then have subject matter experts that sort of specialize in some service delivery or do you actually train them across the whole range of services that you deliver? So we train everybody across the whole range of services. It's kind of integral to me that everybody is able to do the full range of services. That was a massive learning curve for me was I had something that I knew worked in myself and how I did things and that's changed and developed over time and I did try and then you know put that on maybe some members of staff and be like this is how we do it I'm talking all the way down to standardizing things like all the way down to processes communication script like behavior that doesn't work anymore everybody's different everybody's very unique this is a a real talent focused skilled trade and so people come in and they do things differently to you and that was a big learning curve for me. And we've had staff members come in that are very different. And as long as they're at the standard that we need, which I hold a high standard, then, you know, I've learned how to let that go and be like, okay, that's cool. No problem. You need to understand that, like, if somebody is wanting to come in and get a high ticket item and get a package or get the full works and they want to be treated well and they want to leave feeling super happy, that's the responsibility of my staff. But everybody's been sweet with that. Everybody's been fine. There's some things that people aren't super comfortable with. If it's within reason, it's within reason and we don't make them do it. Or if it's kind of down to training aspect, then the main thing is to try and get take that time to train, you know, which is also a challenge. So. But um, no, they are. Yeah, they're all super skilled. Which is great. So, I mean, you mentioned before too that you trained in both the UK and Australia. Is yeah. there a difference between how they train or the skills that they train for? Yeah, the skill level in the UK and the way they train is definitely at a higher standard. I mean, that's my opinion though, and I'm from the UK. But seeing the development in education in Australia over the past eight years, six or seven years has been amazing. And there's like no disrespect to any trainers and educators out here. It's just, I think a lot of the time they might be faced with a lot of red tape or they're faced with a lot of situations where they, somebody has written something based off a hairdressing qualification or somebody has written something, written a course details based off of, you know, some form of business or some form of, yeah, mostly hairdressing, I guess, that number one, might not be industry standard, might not be relevant anymore. And number two is just not always delivered fantastically. And there's timeframes that I just don't agree with all the time because the quality training, it, time doesn't always come into it, you know? Uh, so there is differences. And to be honest, I think it's fair to say as well, the UK, the barbering scene in the UK has been huge for a long long time and probably fundamentally derived from this so when you're talking traditional they're seriously traditional you know when you're talking modern in certain cities in the uk there's some of the best hairdressers in the world and now it's fantastic to see that it's the same as australia you know they are it's definitely competitive here but like anything i think it can definitely improve it's constant and never-ending improvement really isn't it 100 percent. yeah it's hard to get your head around sometimes (laughs) but it's true so do you formalize in training of your team? Like, do you have structured training? Obviously not the pre-stuff they've come to you qualified, but yeah. do you have your own formal structured stuff after? Yeah, so we have structured training for apprentices and we approach that differently as well. So as opposed to sending apprentices to training academies, we train on site. We're very fortunate to have senior staff members that are unbelievable at training as well. And I take a lot of that responsibility on myself as well because I enjoy it. I like the training site. That becomes a massive challenge because we're all busy which is an amazing problem to have but sometimes can affect the training and also sometimes you can get someone to a certain level and their appreciation for your training is no longer there or their appreciation for taking the time to learn more new skills is kind of not there and that could be because they're busy that's a massive challenge but when it comes to new staff members it's on the fly to be honest they usually come in and to us at a really high standard but they just learn in the way that we do things at backbone so they, they learn how we do things basically yeah And so with your team, obviously having a core set there is allowing you to grow. Mm -hmm. So where's that sort of taking you? So the growth has been great. The growth of our first location ran alongside the growth of my education career. So when we brought our first employees on, or they've just grown with us like to no end. My first employee was a friend of mine, Sean. He's gone on to become Australian ambassador for a large clipper company called Wall, which a lot of people know. And he's gone on to do education nights that we kind of either put on for him or if he's wanted to educate our staff, he's always at the forefront of things. We also have other staff members that have come on board that have just grown within the business, you know, tremendously. We offer up the opportunity when we get an apprentice to get the staff to train 
if they want to. And they do. They tend to want to, you know, give their information, give how they do things. And as long as it fits in with the standards that we're at, which it always it always does, then, um, yeah, I'm happy with that. When we grew the second location, it's a lot bigger. I had some really grand ideas. And I wanted to build within the business. It's a lot. It's twice the size of the first location. And it's in a lot more of a competitive area on the Gold Coast here. And there's some just unreal barbers around the area. So it was always going to be a challenge. But I wanted to have an academy running from it. And for whatever reason, basically COVID and we had a baby and just the time and the effort to go into those things. And we came across a few red tape issues that stopped the progress of that side of things. Yeah, and staffing staffing was became a, a bit of a problem. So Sean has gone up there and he's basically ran that location for me for two years. And what he's done up there has been nothing short of a miracle. It's unbelievable. He's he, like kind of, we discuss everything, we plan out everything and he delivers. He's, the quality of his work is next level. And the people that we've brought on in, in time that some have come and some have gone, unfortunately, has been great. The business is, it's a viable business. It's just a massive location. So there's learning curves like everywhere. And we've learned a lot. We've had to pivot a few times and kind of, learn how the growth is going to affect everything else within the business but i'm i go into everything extremely positively probably too much so sometimes i don't think you'd be an entrepreneur though really if you didn't have that as an attitude it's one of the things i think yeah i think it frustrates people sometimes like in my life for sure my wife grounds me a lot and even sean like my best mate he'll come back at some situation sometimes and just say you're mad but i see if i see a risk worth taking or if I see a, something that is challenging from the offset but it fits into my idea which exceeds the years and years to come for some reason yeah no I'm open to taking the risk and I don't see things as failures as much anymore whereas I would have been super hard on myself years ago but yeah if you don't if you don't win at it you learn from it and I think the risk taking side is what keeps the fire burning a little bit as long as it's not detrimental to our staff and, how, and their security which fortunately it never has been yeah i'm keen to go go for it basically yeah one of our things here is, is it's not failure it's just feedback yeah for like, sure what do you choose to do with it 100 percent. and like it's safe to say as well that you can run a business for a number of years and if it's not profitable and it's, you know and a lot of businesses don't make a profit in the first three years five years there's time where you know it could be the end of something and as much that's super scary it's, and it is, it's really scary when I first went into this I always had the attitude if it doesn't work I'll start again you get four years in and you don't want to start again there's not that to do that is scary but building something that works in one location then two and then on to more is kind of where you know I do see growth I see growth in training I see growth in education for the business and, and I see growth in stores and shops that are potentially not as big as the second location <laughs> trying to follow maybe the initial model but we staff on a culture that can better the businesses it just comes down to that massively you can make these decisions and i constantly think of choices and decisions that i'm making and i put scenarios in my head and i stress myself out and my wife goes mad that i'm so stressed and you can then thinking like i can come away and have this clear plan that everything needs to fit into and the first person that you talk to or the first person that has any influence on that says no or changes that whole scenario. So I'm trying to teach myself not to, you know, not to have, get ahead of myself, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah. Like start to invest in the opportunity. Yeah. Because opportunities come and go, right? Yeah, yeah. And also I keep my eyes open all the time, new locations and things like that. And I always have done that. And it's never a reflection of how my businesses are going. It's always just, well, what, you know, what's the next thing? Um, and a big thing, like I have lots of discussions with another staff member that works with me. Damon, like constantly saying that I need to be grateful and happy within the moment because everything is going pretty well. You know, like it's not like it's not like we're failing. It's it's going well. It's just a scenario where I look to the next thing and always want more. And sometimes that's not it's super positive, but it is positive in a light where I can see the opportunities. And as I've grown in business, I can see that oh, that might be worth investing the time and energy into. Um, and some things aren't. So where did the name actually come from? The name actually derives from a negative thing. The reason that I have my staff all full-time, the reason that I'm really an advocate for following rules and regulations, I like that. I think there's something in that, is that I've been stung in the past, fundamentally. In both careers, when I left the UK and left my marketing job in the UK, I gave them ample notice and they didn't fulfill their side. The, the, the agreement, that probably 
give some like work trauma for me. They didn't pay my leave. They didn't pay my holidays. They kind of just threw me out on, on the step there. And it was a learning curve because the, I'd factored in the leave time and the holidays into the finances that I needed to travel. And so it became, that was a sting. And then when I came to Australia, I worked for some amazing guys when I first got out here. But I fundamentally ran my own chair and followed a business model that was a split. And these boys did nothing wrong. I was at a, at a barbershop in Mermaid called Alfred's Apartment. They had a one chair within there, They're like a surf clothing and coffee shop and the coolest spot i thought i died in lot of heaven when i came i was trying to surf then and stuff so it was just like yeah just the aussie dream but i didn't make what i needed to make and we wanted a mortgage and things like that so i went to work for a company and obviously i won't, I won't mention the company but people can find out these things but yeah they just they just didn't do the right thing by me so i kind of there was a poem that i read and it was never grow a wishbone where you want to grow a backbone and i just fundamentally found that my idea of what I was doing, which was wishing constantly, one day I'll do this, one day I'll do this, one day I'll do this. I never actually following through at the time. So yeah, it was just, just struck a chord with me. And from there, that, that became Backbone Barbershop. Yeah. It, yeah. I love the name. I really, it really resonates with me. It just, I just always thought it sounded cool and we get cool kind of comments on it. But yeah, that's where the name came from. Nice. So obviously with the culture and everything you've tried to build in this amazing experience-driven business, Mm -hmm. I guess what sort of awards or recognitions have you received through the industry or in the market? So the barber that I mentioned earlier, Sean, who runs my Miami shop, so we we kind of put together some applications for a barber award called the Australian Modern Barber Awards. And he got shortlisted as a classic men's collection where he put together a photo collection and we did that in store and that was an awesome experience we had a photographer it's a client he works for ringer west and he's like a high flyer marketing guy and he came in and he's happy enough to do to do that for us so he got shortlisted he missed out on the on the win but he got shortlisted for that and i was shortlisted for the business or owner or director of the year for 2021 for the same awards and i missed out on that one as well but it's just amazing to be considered that and then just online uh, online awards so i won an APAC Insider Barber of the Year for Queensland in 2022 recently, which was kind of something that was put forward, I think, by people in the industry, just recognising how we run a business in Queensland and, yeah, how we utilise technology and things like that within our business. So that's a pretty cool thing. That'd be a bit of a different thing in the industry, though, like really embracing technology. Mm, For sure, yeah. When we first started the businesses, very few people were taking appointments and using booking systems. And it was common in the UK and it wasn't common here. The walk-in method where you sit for four or five hours, you know, (laughs) waiting for a haircut from your favourite barber, it just wasn't going to work for us. So, yeah, and... It's been amazing. We've changed booking systems and things like that, but we've kind of ended up going back to the original that we, we used. It allows people to review us as well, which is a massive, massive kind of part of our, our marketing. People look to our reviews and see, you know, where we're at. And yeah, technology, social media technology, Google business page technology, things that we kind of really try to maximize locally. Just small business, local business, local marketing was a massive factor for us, especially initially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, particularly if you break into a more competitive area, which I'm assuming that this is, and like you said, a bigger shop in a more competitive space. I mean, being able to focus on the marketing in a local area mm-hmm. would certainly yeah. be an advantage. Yeah, we've tried things like old hat techniques. We've tried brochures and even within the brochures, trying to add an element of technology, QR codes before COVID brought those to light and using a QR code that linked to our booking system and um, the return the kind of the analytics side, which I, I also kind of get around. I really like seeing where things are coming from and if what we're putting out is working was non-existent. I think we might have had one or two flyers back and these flyers had offers on them and we could track the bookings and it just didn't hit and didn't stick. But our social media marketing through Instagram, through Facebook, through Google business pages, they really seem to work, you know, and how we approach those things we approach those things with very different techniques as well, which I love discussing with Barbara shop owners because I always think, are you doing this? Because you can do it for free and it makes a difference. We kind of, in a competitive market, you have to kind of differentiate yourself. Stand out, yeah. for sure. And so with COVID, how did that actually then impact your business? So like I said, we didn't have to stand anybody down, which was really, really fortunate. But the growth 
of Corumban wasn't represented in Miami location because everything slowed down it basically. When COVID hit, and I think we were a few months into COVID, that's when I thought it was the best time to take a risk and, and open up another location. There was locations available and there were spaces and in similar kind of trading estates that we got into initially that have grown now into like super gentrified areas where Balter Brewing is and some unbelievable cafes and restaurants and lots of creatives and print shops and things that are, are really kind of making a difference in a small trading estate area off of Corumbin. So when we saw another opportunity like that in Miami and saw breweries opening up there and Marquetta and things that are super popular areas, we, that's when I thought, oh, now's the time to kind of take the risk. And we were affected basically by how just a, a slowdown in growth. Initially, people had the finances, they were not working, the goal cost it doesn't seem like anybody ever works on the Gold Coast anyway. They're like we, when people ask me about our busiest days, if we can fill, we're filling Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Mondays and people are, can't believe that. So everybody kind of was, if you were working from home, you had the time to duck out. It's a really good community where we are in Miami as well. And it's more of a residential community. The demographic is different. The clientele is different. And that was like big learning curves for us as well. So it kind of affected us that way because... A little track way down the track they didn't get money from the government and they were maybe returning to work and yeah it just slowed slowed us down never to a stop which is super fortunate but just slowed down the, the growth process i think mm-hmm. and also i think maybe staffing wise when good barbers are locked after in places they're not moving and so staff in a shop becomes difficult because trying to entice someone out of a secure scenario after potentially not working for however long they might have been shut down or if they've come into state and you're talking months of no work. Once they get something, they're not changing at the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge. So what would you say then was your biggest lesson learned out of COVID situation? It's not really on there, but it's okay. more like what's the lesson about the business? Anything that you'd want to share? Because I think that there's probably something in there. Like you took a risk yeah. to enter into even bigger shop than you already had yeah. in an area that you knew was demographically a little bit different. I mean, that's a big risk. And I know that you sort of said that you wanted to focus on it as a training academy yeah. and then hit some red tape issues. So- yeah, I think like there's been... A multitude of lessons in the past few years of the Miami location. I think from a positive spin, a lesson from a positive spin is that if you are of a certain standard, if you're doing something at a high standard, it will work. Our staff, our barbers, they're, they're at an unbelievable standard. They build a clientele off the back of almost nothing, you know, in a really dangerous time. But also the risk factor, I think a big lesson was also, it's not a, if you build it, they, they'll come scenario. Like it's takes more time, effort and energy than sometimes you understand that you've got to give. The size of the location was slightly too big and we built it with this kind of real positive attitude of, of where we were heading and hitting those challenges, then pivoting. We've been fortunate enough to pivot and make it work and make things, you know, grow. But also you have to be willing to flip and change your direction and kind of be okay with the fact that it might not happen for you right now. But it's still something that's down the line. I think the academy, I put, I put the academy out of my head completely because we had a baby in it and these businesses that had to kind of work for that period of time. And when I did that, I lost a little bit of my vision and what I was driving for for so long. And I think when I lost that, maybe the staff members might have lost the one to follow into where we were heading because my confidence had wavered slightly as well. But from that, I think I've learned now that Taking a step back and understanding that you can take a step back to, to step forward is super important. And it's not as long as it's as long as there's no, you know, bailiffs on the door and people not getting paid, then you kind of you're on track. Hmm. I really like that. And it takes a brave person really to actually understand that you can take a pause and you can go back to a place that you know that there was a, a position of comfort, I guess, in order to take that next step forward, whatever it's gotta be. But you do have to pause at least. Yeah. And I find that really hard. That's a big downfall for me is the pauses. I never wanted to stop. I wanted to push on and push forward and move forward. And I think it was a really big culture shock for me to see, you know, okay, this academy is not going to go ahead the way I thought it, it would. And even I think in my communication to certain staff members, sometimes because like Sean's been with me for a very long time and we're really good mates outside of work. And I think that communication suffered as well. And how I discussed my vision suffered because of, how, you know, things outside the business that shouldn't affect businesses and that was something that I've kind of addressed recently and really realized that I think the step back to go forward is is what's next for us I think potentially but just on that like it's in small business particularly I find that distinguishment between being an like an owner Mm. and 
a manager. They're two different things, but, you know, and a person really, Mm -hmm. but they have to blend together because your business is you really. It's an extension of you, you know? And so how then do you distinguish just saying you're talking to your friend? Yeah. How do you distinguish then between the personal side of the conversation and then, okay, I've got to put my business hat on, listen to me as a business owner. It's super difficult. It's been, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge with every staff member. I really like my staff members and you spend a lot of time with them as well. And I've had staff members as well that kind of we don't see eye to eye on things and it's big learning curve and I've not been perfect at it to say the least. But I'm, I'm constantly trying my best to better myself and learn from those things. I think with like specifically with friendships that were previous to business and then going through business, we set target meetings, we set goals and just trying to commit to taking those meetings and discussing the scenarios and trying to put across that I understand where you're coming from in this, this and this, but also bear in mind that it's a business and needs to make money, needs to make profit, you know, or I understand where you're coming from, where you want, let's go and conquer the world in this area. But if it's not financially making us any money at that time, it's not viable right now. And that was for somebody who felt like the world was mine to take and conquer and all this kind of thing for being young. That's been my biggest learning curve is realizing just to take my time and bide my time a little bit and, you know, build really good relationships and take calculated risks. And I think recently, more so than like super recently, I've realized that like as much as the business is an, a part of me and my my influence on the business is, is huge because of it, they're my businesses, um, they're not all of me. Mm. And how people perceive me is not important. It's more important to just take the time to be grateful for what I have outside of the businesses, take the time to just enjoy my child, enjoy my wife, enjoy my family, and then come back and come back with, you know, those plan of action, those drives and ambitions again. And, and yeah, slow it down to to get to get where I want to be. Um, it's been a big learning curve. It's a good point, you know. I mean, A, your family's only, you only get, not one, but you know what I mean? Like your children are only young once and sure. you want to be able to spend the time with them. But, and it's good that, you know, the lifestyle is separate, but we always ask too, well, what lifestyle package do you want these, the business outcomes tied up in? Because money's not the be all and end all, but if it can fund the preferred lifestyle, then it's actually your success. Yeah, for sure. And like, I see so much importance and did see so much importance for so long in a perceived success of business and understanding that things can look a certain way and they're not a certain. And if you're a small business owner, you know exactly what I mean. It's a style over substance factor. And it's massive in my industry. You can have a $200,000 fit out and you can have a shop that's the biggest shop in the world and have 15 staff members that none of them like each other and make zero money and live a flash life off the back of someone else. And that's not what we are. That's not what we're about. We're a small business. We want to make a healthy profit and grow and build culture. And that's always been the case. And that's always been important. And getting caught up in chasing the money really does, it just stuffs up you as a person and stuff's up where you're headed you know and again been guilty of that in my time for sure so I think where I see the business and the personal life they are different but also just remembering this is my passion I'm super passionate about it I can't change that I think not every conversation needs to be about my small business and not every time if we go out for dinner with people in the business or you know our friends I don't need to talk about that you know I need to be conscious not to do that that's hard I've never been like that. So that's, a, again, it's a super recent thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So what would you say then are some of the trends that you've seen? I mean, we touched on this before. Mm-hmm. What ones do you think are the good trends that are coming up? Like business trends or yeah. business trends? I've got, so I've got, I think trends in terms of skill level, which is amazing. And it's a funny one to try and discuss because I like to talk about things from the business side and I like to try and speak to people on a, on a business level. But obviously, if I was getting to the mindset of having a small business and think you have the secret portion, but you think you're doing something that nobody else is doing and you're not, you know, you're, you're doing a version of what something somebody else is doing and you're making it unique because of your service or because of your environment and everybody's different. It's not for everybody. I think trends in terms of how all over Australia, the standard of barbering has grown exponentially. It's massively grown and the standard of barbershops has grown as well, which is amazing. The bookings, the fact that, you know, a haircut or a hairstyling service is not a $5, 15-minute thing anymore. Um, like, we couldn't be more against that. And I think, as a model, it works for people. 
But I believe personally you can't build a sustainable business off that. So I think the trends are the, you know, as much as I think the growth, the fact that the training within Australia is progressing and has a way to go, but it is progressing. And I think the standards are growing is an amazing trend. So do you think, though, that there's more more people that are focusing on the culture, I guess, of the place that they're trying to build, or that's still not as much of a focus? It's still sort of on money. It's hard to say. Like, I wouldn't want to speak for other business owners from the outside because, like, I know myself, people don't know what's happening within a business. I think it's a really fortunate thing that barbering kind of derived from this amazing subculture. It kind of comes from a, a place where culture just seeps out of it. It's a natural fact, you know, like you can have carbon copies of everything and people go there and you can have really individual, like stylistic, different kinds of settings, which I think is is amazing, you know. So I don't know. I think everybody obviously puts the effort in to make something look cool but building a culture within a business is another aspect and i think like any industry there's businesses that do it really well and there's businesses that don't do it well i think if you're attempting to do it well there's an amazing kind of and for that well done if it's hard that's also okay it's hard but then the other element is if it's only for money and only for business and which plenty of places are then i I just don't agree with that you know i think that's i don't think you can build a sustainable business off that that most are individually owned or is there sort of a corporate ownership as well? There's corporate side. Yeah, there's a corporate side of shops that were probably established by one person or a group maybe and then bought out and, you know, changed through supermarkets and things like that or through shopping centres. And then there's a lot of sole ownership places. There's still elements where people work on, you know, ABNs and work on split commissions and things like that and... Again, like I'm one for rules and regulations. I can't help myself. So legally speaking, if somebody's working from an ABN, they're supposed to be running their own business from your location. Mm-hmm. And then you're a landlord. You're not a business owner in some ways. But yeah, there's different models for sure. And I'm not saying my model's perfect or the, or the right model. It's just what's worked for us and how I kind of sleep at night knowing that I'm trying my best to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just on the red tape thing, mm-hmm. can I ask, was it state or a local government restriction or was it to do with, were you trying to obtain like an RTO accreditation? So like, yeah, fundamentally comes down to when agreements with RTOs and training and it was on both sides. It wasn't only, it was, there was not blame for any particular RTOs or any kind of companies like that. It was more so what we needed to train. It's called a TAE qualification. I got stung with that. I tried to do kind of booked to take part in that. I have great trainers on board with us, that like RTOs that are connected to our business. But fundamentally, the delivery of a barber course is probably changed massively since we were looking at it even. But the time frame that it takes, the money that needs to be invested, the kind of subsidies that the government give and things like that, they just didn't align with how the business was moving forward. So yeah, so there was a ma- major, I could have done more to get the TAE or to put staff through TAE. And, but also the way that they deliver courses in Australia, I feel it's just slightly flawed. And there's definitely room to open up conversations on different kind of training and delivery of training. Yeah. Which we're doing all the time. It's just something that's kind of, we're just something we face, like a challenge at the moment. Yeah, I've got to say, I completely agree. I think that there's so much of a focus now on certificate-based training as opposed to like a hands-on or practical type yeah. of training. Mm-hmm. And it used to be in the past, there would be your internships or your traineeships and they've always had an element of that, but there was a more of a focus on the physical skills, certainly you yeah. know, hands-on For sure. stuff. I mean, again, like I said, I'm an accountant. Yeah. Can't even find somebody that can do a bank rec coming no. out of university. No. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. 100%. And real industry experience only comes with being in the industry. And that goes hand in hand, though, with quality education and training. I've racked my brain for years trying to figure out what it is that why people come out of certain courses in a, a standard or why people come out at of apprenticeships at a, a certain standard or, or however it may be. And I have some theories. I think kind of the youth of the day don't want to do an apprenticeship for very little money for a long period of time or they feel like they get onto the, f- the shop floor and they're doing a certain service or they're doing a certain element of the job and they feel like they're done you know and, and they want things quicker which is f- fine I understand that I was like I was very much wanting things fast um, but the whole 10,000 hours theory and putting in the time and effort and the volume of haircuts just makes such a massive difference and even down to like 
staff members or people in the past when I've worked in different businesses that might have come out of a course. They're slightly older, maybe sometimes or older than 25, say, and they have lived a life. They've had other experiences, other retail jobs, other apprenticeships, other, you know, other trades jobs. They kind of, if you're coming out with something like that, you're not in it for the money. Barbara, and you're not, you're not making millions. It has to be a passion job and you can do really well out of it the same way as any other industry by growing, diversifying, building clientele, building relationships. So important, you know. I think trying to tell young people that is impossible, but also I couldn't be told. I couldn't be told by anybody. I was not willing to listen when I was younger. I was doing it my way and unfortunately then I had to learn the lessons the harder way. So it is difficult. I think I saw something recently where people were trying to say that younger people were entitled and somebody proposed an argument, which was basically maybe they just feel they're entitled to have a life and a work-life balance. And I think that's more important now. And especially on the coast, it's such a cruisy location that people are just, you know, you almost think they don't want to work. But it's kind of not that. It's kind of they want to work, but they also want their life and their lifestyle. And that's got to be commended. It's just difficult as a business owner to then justify that and growth and investment in training, you know. Mm, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, from a business owner's perspective, there's a significant time and cost commitment in taking on someone to train. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of gets overlooked as well by the assumption that, oh, well, I'm here, train me. Yeah. No, but it go, there's a 50-50. A so my partner, he was he's always like, well, what's your 50? Yeah. If I'm bringing this, what are you bringing For to sure. the table? And it's not necessarily skills. You don't have those yet, but then you need a good attitude. For sure. And it seems ridiculous to say sometimes you shouldn't have to be reminded of that Mm. and how you approach situations is it leads into absolutely every opportunity that you have so if you answer a phone call and you're the most enthusiastic person in the world and you're delivering some bad news that they can't get the appointment that they want but you do have these other appointments that are available or do you have a preference on which barber well look they're busy at the moment but we have this person and putting your best foot forward I think that's a skill that's not learned or natural anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, that is a very good statement mm-hmm. because it's not something you can teach people to be considerate or aware or... Yeah. And it's not even empathic, but no. it's just, it's that extra step. Well, we call it the extra step now, but it never used to be. It just used to be that's what you did. Yeah, 100%. And I think how you portray yourself, shooting back to sales and marketing, you know, you're putting yourself out there. And I think like there's obviously elements of being genuine and, and elements of you as a person, but there's also elements of professionalism and holding yourself in a certain conduct, you'll do better. You'll do better for it, 100%. Uh, chatting about it the other day, we have an apprentice currently and his talent is through the roof. Where his natural talent, it seems ridiculous because it's a trade that you can learn with your hands. It's a skill. But people hit it and they are just naturally talented. And we've been fortunate, we've had a few apprentices and they've been that way. They were naturally gifted. But the difference is attitude and work ethic and things like that. And even our current apprentice, his confidence levels are not where his skill levels are. And you can't enforce that or put that into somebody. But I try and come from an aspect of transparency or as much transparency as a business business owner can have. Like, I'm not going to tell you facts and figures of my business, but I'll tell you where we're at. And where we're at currently is you need to be cutting on the floor. You're good enough to do this, this and this. You know, so we offer discounted versions for him. First, it's free. Then it's discounted. He learns in a particular order of how he learns things and how he sweeps the floor, how he cleans the windows, how he talks to every person who walks through the door. I truly do believe leads into how he cuts hair, how he builds clientele, how he builds a business, how he runs a business. They lead into each other. It's not always lessons you can teach, but I suppose leading by example and giving people the awareness that what you achieve is basically from your output, you know, your, what you, how you work. Mm. There's a stoic saying that's basically how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. So put the effort in because you never know where it's going to lead. 100%. And put your face in front of everybody. People have a real issue with that. They feel like they are going to be, be perceived a certain way. Like I write this blog article for this barbershop magazine. And in the first, that there was basically, it's a four-part series and it's about business and about what, how we've built what we've built so far, where we want to head. And, and it comes down to like doing things on a shoestring financially, doing things with a lot of marketing effort. But within that, and at the end of the first article, I basically say like, if you don't ask for things, you will not get them. And taking a no is fine. You know, taking a polite no, taking a hard no, that's okay. But if you're not in front of someone, if you're not putting yourself forward, you won't get that. Like every opportunity you don't ask for, you don't get. It's as simple as that. And I think without it coming from an ego-driven place where you just think you're you deserve it because you're that good. You probably do deserve it. You probably are that good. But if you approach it from that that place, 
you'll um you won't get it. You know, there's masses of elements to these things. So I think with the older staff that we've taken on, they just get it. You know, they approach everything. Like some staff members can't sit still and they're constantly cleaning and I'm taking on apprentices and without the jobs, like without trying to say that cleaning is the only job that an apprentice will do, does lead into other things. Like you say, how you do that leads into how you do everything else. And I have staff members that can't let them clean. They can't stop because they just keep them busy when they're in between clients or they just, it's probably derived from when they were there. So those things are, you know, they all add up and build into that. I agree. Like, I mean, even something like cleaning, that gives you the opportunity, though, to observe, Mm -hmm. you know, which if you were doing something else, you wouldn't necessarily have that pause moment to go, oh, I wonder why they're doing it that way. Yeah. You know? And And sometimes the why is... The why is the most important thing. In fact, always the why is the most important thing. And it's the same with hair. I could teach you how to cut a haircut, but it's no good to you if they want a variant of that, or if they want to change something to do with that haircut. So teaching somebody how uh, the why they're doing something that leads into then they can use that for everything. And it comes out even like on apprentices. We used to do a thing where we get the apprentices to clean all of the barber's tools and set up all of the barber's stations early in the morning. And it's a job and no, nobody wants to do that. It feels like you're just making them do a job for the sake of doing a job. But I remember like look at, like feeling like trying to understand the why behind that. And the why came from understanding the differences in tools, the differences and the importance of having clean tools and sanitizing. And also how to set up a station for different people and how you'll set up your station when you're ready. And you, you lose that along the way and you forget to explain the whys because it's a busy shop. And you're like, just, you need to do this, this and this. But there's... There's elements of everything leads into the next, you know, mm. and touching on the barbers that, the you know, the barbers and apprentices that are cutting on the floor and feel like they're absolutely killing it. They probably are killing it, doing really well, doing well for the business, doing well for themselves. There's elements of your apprenticeship that are not you standing behind someone and cutting their hair and talking to a client. There's elements that you can always improve on. And if the right owners and the right bosses uh, believe in that you're not there, and you're not ready for this. You're not ready to be signed off. It's like a sign-off kind of kind of education program, I guess. They sign, they sign them off on certain elements. Um, you need to think, why? Why am I not ready? And you can you can have that discussion, but without attitude, you can have that discussion and say, well, what parts do you not think I'm ready on? The best piece of advice I can give is to then go away and work on that. Prove it, prove them wrong, you know? Sometimes the best things, in, the best thing, I believe the best things in business come from um, sometimes proving people wrong kind of feeling like well you don't feel like i can do this but i really can yeah let me show you let me show you yeah you need to show people you don't need to tell people what you can do and that's literally never grow a wishbone where you won't have a backbone that's where that comes from yeah i mean actions always do speak louder than words anyway Mm -hmm. 100 percent. cool talking things into the into reality i do believe in and i I believe in the manifestation side of things maybe not from like a real airy fairy spiritual way, but I feel like if you tell me something that you're on track to doing with confidence and, and you believe it in yourself, I do believe then that every action that you do and every piece of your energy that you're putting into anything is heading towards that. Literally to myself and to my family, to my wife, I've proven that time and time again. There's never been something, if I'm really got my head on, that I didn't achieve by, it obviously comes with a heap of hard work, mm. but the element of talking something into a reality or you know, making people aware that that's the space I'm going to be in and then putting all of the work in behind it. It kind of comes more naturally when you can do that, you know. I would definitely agree. And that's sort of understanding, I guess, the why, why it is that you want to be there because mm-hmm. then when there's a passion attached to that goal, yeah. you're going to make sure that you, you know, move things to get to that outcome and it's keeping that then top of mind. For sure. And that's a real big challenge when you own business or a business, multiple businesses, if you work in a, a job and you have a small thing and you have your side gig or whatever you're doing, the keeping in mind the initial vision, the initial goal, the initial target, it can waver and it can change. But having that is super important. That was only brought to my attention recently. Again, like it was like kind of went to meet with a client who's a business strategist. Like he's doing well. And we kind of exchanged the last six months of our life of where we were at. And it was sort of, you know, not negative and ranty and sad but it was like oh geez there's been a few challenges it's, it's been pretty it, it's been a you know a big big few months and just he brought the light and kind of turned around and said well do you still have the goal in place do you still have the overall vision i kind of looked at myself and said no i think i've lost it i think i've forgotten about that and in the last few months again maybe the last month i've got back into that you know and re realized oh actually like there is a gap in the market in training it's a massive gap in the market in training and i will fill it one day, I know I will, 
and the opportunity of the shops and what it comes down to. It is all culture. It is all the people that work for us. Like the structure is there. The processes, the business, the way that runs is there, which can change. But if the culture is not there, it's, it's dead. Mm. But that's adapting. It's not necessarily change for change's sakes. It's adapting to conditions. 100%. And we've been delivered challenges in that respect with booking sites that didn't work and accounting software that was no good for us and changing a business structure from a sole trader with so many employees to a private limited company. And all of those things are super challenging at the time. You're like, oh, geez, I really don't want to be doing this right now. But also the changes will lead into better wins and successes some you know sometimes not always and that's okay too mm-hmm. <laughs> i think a big uh lesson or kind of piece of advice that i would give as well is like nothing is necessarily needing to be sorted out instantly in that moment and nothing is detriment so detrimental to your business that tomorrow you won't have a business if you're at that stage you need help you need outside help and advice but i go through days on you know monthly quarterly where i'm thinking this has to be addressed right now and solved in this moment and all it does is cause stress and when you are stressed or when you're kind of overworked a little bit then everything else is lacking you know so approaching that differently as well being a big big learning curve again Mm. it's so true you know and the reality is is everything's got signs so if there is a thing that happens that causes your business to potentially be at risk tomorrow Mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that had led up to that that it's very rarely an event on a singular day they do happen like natural disasters but it's a more of a rare occurrence for sure yeah and looking out at your market at the competitors you know looking out at the demographic of your clientele needs to be done like there's elements on both sides of putting your blinkers on you know and looking at nobody and focusing on your journey and your business and there's elements of well what are they doing Am I doing something that they, like, should I be doing, should I be approaching it from that aspect? So it changes a lot, you know, like you feel like you could get a job as a fireman after owning a business because you're literally putting fires out every week. It's it's insane. But they're not the be all and end all. They're not going to, it can't seep into your life is basically the way what I'm trying to (laughs) convince myself. Well, it's a separation really, you know. Mm-hmm. So although there's overlap, I yeah. guess we consider it work-life integration. Yeah, cool. I don't think you're ever really going to get a balance per <laughs> se because sometimes family life will take the priority above yeah. anything yeah. and then other times the work will require a little bit more attention. Yeah. But it's finding that the way that it comes together. Yeah, I love that. That makes total sense, I think. Especially on the coast as well and the way that living on the coast is. that That is a massive fact of why I live here and why I absolutely love this place is because you're almost forced to have that integration you know you're almost forced to enjoy life it's so beautiful it's so chilled out there's amazing people here it's kind of like you know i'm busy i'm super busy and i love being busy and when i'm not busy i try and get busy but i can walk on the beach every morning i can take my child to the park and chill out and everybody gets up here at like 4 a.m which is ridiculous when you come from the uk but it also gives you appreciation for that side of life and it kind of almost forces you to do that and if you're falling out of that, which I've done in the past as well, it's nice and easy to get back into that. I think that can be anywhere in the world. I just think the priority, isn't it? You know, it's it's all about the prioritizing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I've tried my best to change the way I communicate things sometimes when I say I can't do something, whether it be like physical training or something for my life, you know, something that's important that I do. Instead of saying I can't do it, it's like I can't prioritize that right now. But it will become a priority because it has to, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's... It's good sometimes to self-talk to just, that's how I approach things is I self-talk my way into how I'm going to approach these challenges again. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's important, you'll prioritize it. Yeah. And if you'll prioritize it, you'll make space for it in your day and it will stay at the forefront of your mind. Yep. And also things can be mutually important. There can be a number of things that are just as important as the other things. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I think remembering, well, not even remembering, but just you're not going to get more important than your family life and children and that's not there's nothing that will supersede that but everything that you do outside of that is obviously to benefit that life re-triggering that as your priority often is super important you know and hard and a challenge but but what would life be but for that exactly 100 percent. yeah it'd be pretty boring hey if it was very easy (laughs) that's it so basically we operate here by seven core values that represent how we want to do business was there any on there that you found that resonated with you yeah, so I picked three that resonated with me. Enjoying what you do, I just found to skyrocket my career, basically. 
And I just believe that when you do anything with any passion, you just have the upper hand already on your peers and your competitors from a business aspect, but also it just helps you to grow. So I've done jobs without passion and I get nowhere even with, you know, a decent level of ability. You can have less of a level of ability at the start of something with passion and it'll drive you all the way. Create happiness and community. Again, this is something that is a constant challenge and a constant growth kind of factor, but staff valuing your vision and building an enjoyable work culture that just makes hard things that are hard to deal with that little bit less hard. Going in every day and just having that communication with staff and also big decisions as well that you feel sometimes as a business owner you need to take on your shoulders um, as much as you are you are the decision maker and you are making those plans and they are there you know your staff are there to follow and understand but input and taking advice is important and then think like an entrepreneur is the one that I, I love because I'm just always looking for the next opportunity and I try to diversify my involvement in the barbering industry so from starting out and cutting hair and building that clientele and building relationships with people Training, educating, traveling Australia, doing that, working with the biggest brands in Australia and the world. Every new opportunity comes with risk and just keeps the fire burning in your belly. So yeah, they're my three. That's cool. And so I know we've touched on, I guess, some of the future goals that you had, but what's, I guess, the single biggest, hairiest, audacious goal that you have? Yeah, I like the pun. <laughs> um, so revisited this recently and I want to pass on uh, experiences in the barber and salon business industry with kind of a realness and actually touching on challenges and experiences that we've had. I feel like there's a serious lack, especially in my industry, of good guidance, good mentorship. When I was setting up businesses and when I'm setting up businesses in the future, to be able to touch on things with people in that space, but from a, you know, a true, real, genuine connection point, is neon impossible. There's been a handful of people that I've reached out to that have sat with me and discussed things. And to those people, they're amazing. They've 15 years in the game and been kind of willing to offer up information. So I think I want to grow the team into a culture that understands what Backbone is about as a barbershop in training, you know, in every element and carry on the education element of, of our business. Revisit, if it's not an academy, revisit uh, you know, small group training and producing top quality barbers in that element. And I think the biggest audacious side is potentially moving into, for want of a better word, because I know it's a kind of a bit of a cliche, but like that business mentorship. I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm not saying that I'm the most experienced business owner in the world, but I think some things that I could pass over, even silly little marketing tips or silly little things that we did in the early days, I think I'd love to be able to like sit down, discuss and help people do that. So I think moving into salon business or barber business kind of, yeah, mentorship or training would be awesome. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. Cool. And so where can people actually find you? So Instagram is our big one. We don't have websites and we actually never had a website with a bit as a business, um, which is quite interesting. Facebook, we're Backbone Barbershop. Instagram, I'm called Sam the Barberman. And we've got <laughs> Backbone Barbershop on Instagram, Backbone Barbershop Miami and then Backbone Barber Education. So we run obviously different kind of social medias through there, mostly the businesses. And then the education side is just any events that we have coming up or any kind of more so the skill side, more so the barber side, but we'll be moving into the business side. And yeah, we, you can find us at Traders Way Corumban and Mountain View Avenue in Miami. They are our two locations mm -hmm. currently. Yep. So obviously throughout this whole episode, you've shared a whole bunch of lessons. Mm -hmm. Is there any that you wanted to close out with? Yeah, there's a few things that I think are really kind of really worth looking into. And it's going about marketing in a different way for a business that's a service industry and small. We approach local marketing and we approached it from a few different elements. When we opened Corumbin, not only did I knock every door and introduce myself, which was just such an old school, very like realistic person to person kind of form of marketing, I guess, all the way to basically hijacking radio stations during competitions that they ran to kind of black hat Google marketing, whereby we'd leave reviews on businesses as a business. And they were elements that like, maybe I don't know if people would frown upon them now, but they were fun and kept us interested in the things that we did. So yeah, the radio station was holding the best barber, the best hair salon and barber shop on the Gold Coast. We had no chance. We were open for two months and there were some heavy hitters, some amazing, you know, barbershops that established their business over time. And my wife runs like a, a finance company, allows businesses to do direct debit and BPay payments called Pay Advantage. 
And at the time, she was in a different role. And they had basically a call centre within the building. So when it came to the actual winning of the award and the voting, we wouldn't have had the clients to win. But we had, I think, 15 15 of her staff calling every hour to the point where the radio station was literally talking about us as if we were best mates. Oh, is that Sam down in Corumbin? Oh, yeah, yeah, we know Sam. We know Backbone Barbershop. And I had no clue, you know, so that was, that was, a, that was a good one. And then the reviews thing. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant tip in general is if you, once you get your Google business page kind of locking schmick and, you know, with all of your information and you've got, let's say, some good photography and you're geotagging everything. So you're putting a tag on your photography so that based in the location that you're in, just remembering that you're marketing to a radius of, of nothing, of 10K or something. You just want the people in the area to know who you are. Yeah, review big businesses that are in the area or really well-known businesses from your business page as a business. Leave them five stars and in every review, you let them know that you're around the corner. So yeah, that's a, that's a good tip. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good one, I yeah. like that. Thanks heaps for your time. No worries, thank you for having me. Well, that's everything small business for today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay up to date with our show, please subscribe or follow in your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them or share it on your socials and tag us. Until next time, this is everything small business.